0: Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you hope for today. A program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today.
1: My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and
0: Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. I have just read you the first chapter of the Old Testament book of Psalms. Since Father's Day is today, I thought it might be a good idea to hear what the Bible says would make a man blessed or happy. Because I do believe that if a man has been blessed by God, he will be happy and he will be a man that has a relationship with God and walks closely with Him every day. Repeating verse 3 of Psalm 1. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Years ago, I heard a sermon in which the preacher said we should be like these trees, that our roots should go down deep, deep into the word of God and that the branches and the leaves on the tree should provide a place where those who follow us can have a place of safety and a place where they can know we have led them to eternal truths that will bless them all their lives, and those eternal truths are like the fruits of those trees. They will know we did believe in Jesus Christ and that His death on the cross was no accident, but that He did it because He loved us enough to die for us and to save us from our sins. Many people may feel they love their children enough to die in their place if such a dire circumstance might arise. But fortunately, in reality, that very rarely, if ever, happens. It was Robert Louis Stevenson who said, Don't judge each day by the harvest you reap, but by the seeds you plant. So, fathers, what are the seeds you are planting in your children's lives today? Will the fruit those seeds bear help them to live lives that God will bless and they will prosper in what they do? My hope for today is that you are setting a good example for your children and planting good seeds. I want to read you the true account of two American families, families that planted very different seeds. And this is taken from Chuck Swindoll's Ultimate Book of Illustrations and Quotes. Two families from the state of New York were studied very carefully. One was the Max Jukes family, and the other was the Jonathan Edwards family. The thing that they discovered in this study is remarkable. Like begets like. Max Jukes was an unbelieving man, and he married a woman of like character who lacked principle. And among the known descendants, over 1,200 were studied. 310 became professional vagrants. 440 physically wrecked their lives by a debauched lifestyle. 130 were sent to prison for an average of 13 years each, seven of them for murder. There were over 100 who became alcoholics. 60 became habitual thieves, 190 public prostitutes. Of the 20 who learned a trade, 10 of them learned the trade in state prison. It cost the state about $1,500,000, and they made no contribution whatever to society. In about the same era, the family of Jonathan Edwards came on the scene, and Jonathan Edwards, a man of God, married a woman of like character. And their family began, and they became a part of this study that was made. Three hundred became clergymen, missionaries, and theological professors. Over one hundred became college professors. Over one hundred became attorneys. Thirty of them judges. Sixty of them physicians. Over sixty became authors of good classics, good books. Fourteen became presidents of universities. There were numerous giants in American industry that emerged from this family. Three became United States congressmen, and one became the vice president of the United States. I had read this comparison of these two families several years ago and was glad to run across it again just recently. It certainly gives a real-life illustration of what godly living versus ungodly living looks like. Now I want you to listen to these words from the poem, To Any Daddy. There are little eyes upon you, and they're watching night and day. There are little ears that quickly take in every word you say. There are little hands all eager to do everything you do, and a little boy who's dreaming of the day he'll be like you. You're the little fellow's idol, you're the wisest of the wise. In his mind about you no suspicions ever rise. He believes in you devoutly, holds that all you say and do, he will say and do in your way when he's grown up like you. There's a wide-eyed little fellow who believes you're always right, and his ears are always open, and he watches day and night. You are setting an example every day in all you do for the little boy who's waiting to grow up to be like you. And this was the poem To Any Daddy by Croft M. Pence. Yes, children are always watching what we do. Have you ever heard the expression, actions speak louder than words? What we do, our actions, speak so loudly that what we are saying may not even be heard. I recently listened to a horse whisperer talk for over an hour, and the similarities between training horses and raising children was striking to me. She said, you must be consistent, patient, and you must persevere, and certainly those are qualities that you need to have if you are raising children. She also said that if the horse demonstrates negative behavior, she does not use negative behavior towards him because two negatives do not make for a positive behavior. I guess I was wrong when my own children misbehaved and I treated them to some negative behavior of my own, as in spankings with a paddle or a switch or my hand. But then that is how I was raised. Not that that's a very good excuse. But as I have gotten older, I have learned new methods of discipline since I am not allowed to spank my grandchildren. One other thing I heard the horse whisperer say was this quote from her father about patience. He said, patience is what you need when you are doing what you don't like to do. I know from experience that just getting kids to say please and thank you takes lots of patience and perseverance. In raising children, fathers and mothers need a ton of patience and an abundance of love. And remember that patience and love are two of the fruits of the Holy Spirit To be a good father, having a relationship with God is critical. And as you know, God does discipline us. Hebrews 12.10 says, God disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. In his book, 90 Days of God's Goodness, Randy Alcorn says, Notice this verse does not say, God disciplines us for His glory. That would have been perfectly true, of course. As His children, our good and God's glory are ultimately the same. But the point of the text is that it's in our best interest to become more Christlike. The very next verse, Hebrews 12:11 says, "No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it." Alcorn goes on to say, and I agree, Let's be honest. Virtually everyone who has suffered little in life is shallow, unmotivated, self-absorbed, and lacking in character. You know it, and so do I. And yet, we do everything we can to avoid challenges, both to our children and to ourselves. If we succeed in our avoidance, we'll develop in ourselves and our children the very kind of character we least admire. God's parenting method doesn't shield us from adversity and the character it builds. We would do well to learn from him. And that's the end of Alcorn's quote. I want to read some verses from the Bible that describe God and that a father would do well to try and put into practice, not to mention the rest of us doing that too. From Psalm 145, verses 8 and 9, The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. From Romans two eleven, God does not show favoritism. He treats everyone the same. From Psalm one o three thirteen and 14, He is tender and sympathetic, for He knows we are but dust. In His Word, God tells us what we should do. I already read for you Psalm 1. Now I'm going to read some words of wisdom found in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, written by King Solomon. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct you and crown your efforts with success. Do not resent it when God chastens and corrects you, for His punishment is proof of His love. Just as a father punishes a son he delights in to make him better, so the Lord corrects you. God gives His friendship to the godly, and His blessing is on the upright. I would have you learn this great fact that a life of doing right is the wisest life there is. The Lord hates the stubborn, but delights in those who are good. You can be very sure God will rescue the children of the godly. The Lord blesses good men. If you refuse to discipline your son, it proves you don't love him. For if you love him, you will be prompt to punish him. Reverence for God gives a man deep strength. His children have a place of refuge and security. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A wise man controls his tongue. Gentle words cause life and health. Griping brings discouragement. The Lord loves those who try to be good. A good man thinks before he speaks. God blesses those who obey him. Happy the man who puts his trust in the Lord. A child's glory is his father. Love forgets mistakes. Discipline your son in his early years while there is hope. If you don't, you will ruin his life. Kindness makes a man attractive. It is a wonderful heritage to have an honest father. A man is known by his actions. An evil man lives an evil life. A good man lives a godly life. The wise man learns by listening. The man who tries to be good, loving, and kind finds life, righteousness, and honor. Everyone respects the words of an honest man. Teach a child to choose the right path, and when he is older, he will remain upon it. Listen to this wise advice. Follow it closely, for it will do you good, and you can pass it on to others. Trust in the Lord. Don't refuse to accept criticism. Get all the help you can. Don't fail to correct your children. Discipline won't hurt them. Be wise and stay in God's paths. The father of a godly man has calls for joy. What pleasure a wise son is, so give your parents joy. A man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful, but if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. Blessed is the man who reveres God, but the man who doesn't care is headed for serious trouble. Wise men try to keep peace. A wise man holds his temper in and cools it. Scolding and spanking a child helps him to learn. Left to himself, he brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son, and he will give you happiness and peace of mind. Fear of man is a dangerous trap, but to trust in God means safety. All these words of wisdom have come from the first 29 chapters of Proverbs, and I'm sure you would agree with me that there is a lot of wisdom to be found in the good book. I now want to read you this true story from the life of Jonathan Edwards from the One-Year Christian History book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. This is a reading from February 13th. On September 24, 1757, Aaron Burr Sr., the second president of Princeton College, died at the age of 41. Four days later, 22 students graduated at the college's first commencement in its new location in Princeton, New Jersey. The next day, the Board of Trustees met and, after a time of earnest prayer, elected Jonathan Edwards, father-in-law of Aaron Burr Sr., as the college's next president. Jonathan Edwards' career had begun brilliantly and early. At 16, he received a Bachelor of Arts degree from Yale College. With a Master's degree at 23 as well, he accepted a call to minister in Northampton, Massachusetts, where he served for the next 23 years and was loved and respected. During these years, he married, his family grew to 10 children, and his writing and preaching received growing acclaim. From Northampton, Edwards went to Stockbridge, Massachusetts, a frontier village, where for seven years he found contentment pastoring a small church made up of colonists and Indians. John Brainerd, brother of David Brainerd and one of Princeton's trustees, was one of the two men sent to Stockbridge to inform Edwards of his election as president of Princeton College. Edwards was surprised, and though he was considered the greatest American theologian and philosopher of his generation, he questioned whether he was qualified. After a period of prayer and counsel from others, he reluctantly accepted the position. With his wife and family remaining in Stockbridge until spring, Edwards left for Princeton in January. Two daughters, the recently widowed Esther Burr and Lucy, who was staying with her, were already in Princeton. After his installation as president, Edwards began preaching every Sunday in the college chapel. He also taught theology to the senior class, and his classes quickly became very popular. Edwards became more convinced that God had called him to Princeton. In February, the smallpox epidemic sweeping the country reached Princeton. Since inoculation for the disease was proving successful, Edwards proposed that he be inoculated if his physician recommended it and the trustees approved. With the approval of both, Edwards was inoculated on February 13, 1758, one month after he had assumed the presidency. Ultimately, the inoculation did not produce the intended results, and soon Edwards developed smallpox in his throat, making it difficult to swallow. His condition deteriorated rapidly, and he knew he was dying. Realizing he would not see his wife again, he wrote to his daughter, Dear Lucy, it seems to me to be the will of God that I must shortly leave you. Therefore, give my kindest love to my dear wife and tell her that the uncommon union which has so long subsisted between us has been of such a nature as I trust is spiritual and therefore will continue forever. And I hope she will be supported under so great a trial and submit cheerfully to the will of God. And as to my children, you are now to be left fatherless, which I hope will be an inducement to you all to seek a father who will never fail you. Jonathan Edwards died on March the 22nd, 1758. His physician had to write the difficult letter informing Sarah Edwards of her husband's death. Sarah found refuge in the same God her father had preached. She wrote to her widowed and now fatherless daughter, Esther Burr, What shall I say? A holy and good God has covered us with a dark cloud. Oh, that we may kiss the rod and lay our hands on our mouths. The Lord has done it. He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. Oh, what a legacy my husband and your father has left us. We are all given to God, and there I am and love to be. Esther Burr, who had been inoculated at the same time as her father, died 16 days later. So that was the account of Jonathan Edwards and his brief time at Princeton University and his death. And my goodness, what a wonderful Christian family they had. So fathers, as Father's Day approaches, you have an idea of what you need to be doing to have a good life that God will bless and to seek God's guidance and wisdom every day. Stay in His Word. Be obedient to His Word so that you will live a life He can bless. The future of our families and our nation depend on it. In closing, I want to read you something that I didn't even write out, but I've got it right here in this little God's Minute daily prayers. This one line, May we train our children for useful lives here and to be fitted for their true home beyond this life. I will leave you with this verse from Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for listening.